We're at the halfway mark of January. It's 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Market call. Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, in just a few minutes, Carter Braxtonworth. And what better day? Well, is there any bad day to have Carter on, Dan? I ask you. But today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. They are also our data provider. We have reached the halfway mark of the month of January in terms of just Wednesday and those types of things. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well. You know, guy, because I got this little options thing. I've been doing that for a little bit here. It was interesting. I was looking at a couple trades. We're going to detail a trade that I did this morning in Jets. That's the ETF that tracks the airlines. And it's interesting because, you know, we had this little thing on Fast Money last night. We were talking about leap years, right? And leap years are usually reflected in the month of what? What year? I think what Feb- month? Well, every every Feb- four years or something like. So it's, it's interesting. So, so options expiration is the third Friday of every month, right? So in February expiration is February seventeenth, but so is March expiration, March seventeenth, which is kind of weird. I'm Crazy. just saying. I mean, wow, Feb, There's, you know, I mean, all right, let's get to this thing, man. No, Sorry. look. That's, by the I mean, way, I'm was- sorry we were late. That was on. That's on me, peeps. So no, you know what. That's the sort of mensch that you are. It was easily on me here. All right, we got a lot to do because you need to be out at 1.30, and we do have CBW coming in here. I just thought we'd start with a tweet from Rosie, okay, because we love David Rosenberg, Rosenberg Research. Sorry, folks. No soft landing on track for three straight quarters of declines in real retail sales alongside two successive negative production numbers only happens in recession. All right, guy, talk to me because this whole soft landing – yeah. Scenario is becoming harder for you to buy. Well, I haven't bought it in quite some time. But what I will say, and I think it's interesting, I'm sure Carter has some thoughts, but the knee-jerk reaction to the really soft data that we saw this morning was the market was higher. And I think people came to the realization that, wait a second, bad news is, in fact, bad news. And that's sort of the point we've been trying to make. You know, you will hope for there to be bad news, thinking that somehow magically it will take the Fed out of the equation only then to come to the realization that bad news is bad news. And the market does need some positive forces in order to get the earnings growth, revenue growth, and the margin growth that you need for it to continue to go higher. So I think Rosie puts out, a, that's a very interesting tweet. You know, sorry, folks, no soft landing. And I don't think it's happening. I mean, it's just, you know, if, if people are looking at through the lens of the market and the market's not going to crater, okay, maybe. But in terms of the economy, again, not the not the potential outcome, but the desired outcome is for higher unemployment and effectively a recession. And that whole soft landing thing, I think each and every day you can throw a little bit more out the window. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I'm um, real quickly. I wanted to go to a tweet. This is from a guy, Julian Klomenko, I think. Um, but we talked about this a little bit there, yesterday. Man. But I thought this was kind of an interesting. A basket of the most shorted stocks surged. 15.7% mm-hmm. last week, the most violent junk stock rally since the spring of 2020. And I got to tell you, we made this point. I look at my fact set stream, and I said this yesterday on the on the call, or on the market call here. You know, at any point last year, you could have looked up on my main page with 300 tickers, and you could have found uh, any number of stocks down 20, 30, 40, 50%. This year, it's only two and a half weeks in, and there are no shortage of stocks that are up 10, 20 even 30% or so. And so look at this shorts kind of fueling a little bit of this action. And then the other one, there was another tweet I thought was kind of interesting here. Um, Guy, the percent of stocks, this is from Mike Zaccardi percent of stocks above the 200 day moving average looks structurally bullish. Um, So this is a report from B of a. So we've had a junk 
stock rally. We've had a bunch of other stocks that have gotten above some key technical levels here, which is kind of indicating we'll get Carter's take on that. But just your take on these two pieces put together, because I wonder if it's creating the illusion of a better stock market so early in the year, which is not something I think you want to chase here. I don't think you want to chase it either. I mean, is it an illusion? Well, and I know you know this, but it's worth saying, you know, if you were long those stocks, the reasons they went up don't matter because your account obviously is larger than it was a week or so ago. So that's a good thing. But to your other point, it is a bit of an illusion thing. And I, you know, again, when people start talking about the number of percentage of stocks above their 200 day moving average, I mean, I can understand why some people would think that's bullish. And then I could counter it and say, you know, if everything is mean reverting like you say it is, it's just a matter of time before those stocks above their 200-day go back down and test their 200-day. So there's something for everybody. You can make numbers look like and do whatever you want them to do. I'll say this, though, to your point. It does not suggest a bottom when you continue to see some of the zaniness and specifically a lot of these meme stocks and the moves that you just sort of uh, – highlighted a few minutes ago to me that's not suggestive of a bottom it's more suggestive of a process and we're just not there yet dan well i mean to your point i mean it's it's meme stocks it was crypto it's Mm -hmm. spacs i mean i have a list of spacs you know companies that came public via spac um every is the list long and distinguished for the first person that comments in the in the in the comments section i'm going to give a shout out to if they know what that's from please continue uh, yes, um, I got you there, dog. Um, but uh, yeah, there's stocks that these things are, you know, they're like basically penny stocks, but the average performance is up like 25% um, on the year or so. Um, let's just hit the S&P and the NASDAQ really quickly. You know, we've been talking about that downtrend. Um, we got above it in December, uh, briefly after that November CPI print. Um, we had this nice little rally after the December CPI mm-hmm. print. Um, we got above it briefly above the 200-day um, seemingly being rejected here. The NASDAQ 100, the NDX, um, looks like the same chart, much closer to its October um, lows, the recent lows here. Um, thoughts on just the setup here today? Because tonight, you know, we got Netflix. That could really set the stage as an individual name. It, it bottomed out before many other NASDAQ stocks did. It filled in a big gap from last April. I see you just all geeked up. You're dying to hit one of these comments here. Um, but it just Carter's going to spend some time on the SPX. Um, but like, give me your sense here. Again, about you know, this is this this is a classic bear market chart. I mean, we have effectively been in bear market now for you know the last ten or so months, which started in November, well, December of uh, 2021, if memory serves. And, you know, you see these rallies back to a downtrend line and the rallies have been severe and the rallies have felt like, oh my God, I'm going to miss it. Let's get in. And as I've mentioned a number of different times, the only real panic that I've seen outside of maybe one or two instances over the last year or so have been moves to the upside. And I think this chart suggests exactly that. To me, what we're seeing is a rejection of that trend line Obviously, the 200-day moving average is still sloping lower. We continue to trade below it. We try to sort of trade up to it and fail. I mean, I I think we've been pretty consistent here, Dan. We both think that this, in terms of the NDX, me, my level sort of 9,800 or thereabouts, but those horizontal green lines of support that you've drawn, we're going to take them out. Yeah, well, real quickly, um, just a name that we track pretty closely. I have a bearish position in, of course, and I got a little squeezed over the last few trading days. But let's pull up Tesla. Um, you know, the thing 
had that huge reversal day about a week and a half. It got down to about 101, right? And then it closed mm -hmm. that day. I think it was, uh, I'm looking at my fact set chart here, it was January 6th and closed that day um, at, God. Uh, I want to say 108, but I might be wrong. Guy, 114. 102 and closed at 114 and had this kind of break out of this little rally or this range. It gapped up three and a half percent today. And now here we are down three and a half percent. Keep an eye on this one. I think there's a lot of sentiment. I mean, listen, if I didn't know what this chart was and I didn't know what they do and I didn't know the competition, I didn't know the CEO uh, not being the CEO and all that sort of stuff. I'd say that that looks like something I want to play for a move back to those breakdown levels a month and a half ago. But January 27th, they're going to report earnings. I don't think they're going to be particularly good. And I think it probably retests those levels from earlier. So that to me, from a sentiment standpoint, is important. Is it still important to you guys? It is. And look at today's activity. I think it's going to probably trade. It's not going to be two times normal volume, but it probably like one and a half times or so normal volume on a day where again we've made a recent high only to reverse and trade lower so these are the days you want to bookmark so i do think today's an important day and you know what we've seen over the last week in terms of the bounce i mean again we, that's not like it's unprecedented we've seen moves like this a number of times over the last six to nine months and each time if you've timed it somewhat correctly has been an opportunity to put a short out again and today's the day that i think you're going to take a look at and say, ah, it was that January 19th, that Wednesday, where Tesla topped out short term again, starting to roll over, probably going to put in a new low. And, and that's the way I look at today's activity. And again, the volume to me is going to be really important to see how much it trades on this bit of a reversal day. Yeah, and let's let's pull up Microsoft really quickly. It was confirmed that they're cutting ten thousand jobs. Mm -hmm. um, and again, these are you know these are good paying jobs. Um, and this was a time you know where it's it's probably you know we're going to probably see more of this from some of the major um, tech companies. We've seen a lot of it so far. Salesforce. Um, uh, we've you know we've seen it across the board. Uh, basically, Amazon's been cutting too. This one's going to be really interesting, guy. When they report, it filled in that gap here. It had a huge um, rally. And again, you know I. I I go back to and you made this comment about Goldman Sachs cutting jobs the week before their earnings announcement. And that earnings, you know, we talked about it yesterday, was not good. So sometimes, you know, companies like to at least get this news out of the way before they're going to you know, report disappointing fundamental um, news just to kind of indicate the fact that they are focused on costs. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's exactly right. And the Microsoft, again, if you pay attention to what Salesforce had said, any number of these SaaS companies that you bring up all the time, some of these high valuation, high growth names that have been cutting jobs, and you say to yourself, okay, who is that going to adversely affect? I mean, most of the times, the company in the crosshairs is Microsoft. Not to cast dispersions. Microsoft, I say it all the time. I think it's one of the three to five most important companies in the world, not because of their size, but in terms of the number of business and number of industries that they touch. And the problem with Microsoft, if there is one, uh, is that valuation, it's still an expensive stock. And we said it four or five months ago when the stock reported earnings, I think it closed at 255 that day, traded down to 242 in the aftermarket, only to see the stock subsequently rally in June into July on the back of them saying they weren't seeing demand destruction. Well, when you start cutting jobs, what do you? What is that telling you? You're starting to see demand destruction, and I think it's going to manifest itself in the next earnings release. There'll be an opportunity to buy Microsoft for a trade, but I don't think it's there right now, Dan Nathan. 
All right. We, you, we use the term sentiment all the time. And, and some people ask, why do you guys kind of, you know, speak to that um, so much? And really, you know, from our careers, it's really important to get a sense for what the crowd is thinking, um, not to be contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. That's not what we do, but just to have a sense for how people are positioning and how they're voting with their wallets. And our main man, Carter Braxton Worth, let's bring him in here um, on, on Worth Charting. Hi, that, Carter. Wow. How are you, bud? Man, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I thought you had a really well-timed post on Worth Charting that you put out to your subscribers. So these are, you know, retail, uh, you know, investors, right? And then you also speak to dozens, if not more than that, um, institutions, large institutions putting a lot of money to work. And then you also tweeted this, and you just tweeted a simple chart of the S&P showing the downtrend that's been in place for the last year. Right. And let's let's put this up if we have that. And the uptrend that's been in place from the October lows. And you basically said vote. So so talk to us um, what you thought of the results. You broke them down into three buckets, institutions, Twitter and subscribers. And, mm-hmm. and I'd love to know a little bit about the history. I know that you've done this for years with your work. And I'm just curious what you basically take away from these polls. It's funny. I mean, a, a poll is always fun. I mean, you know, well, let me say this. You ever gotten those things where do you have time for a survey and then you say maybe and you and then all of a sudden it's 45 questions. You quit after two. The key to polls is making it only one question and then you will get some participation because once it starts getting into a big number, people are like, ah, oh, no, thanks. Click. So anyway, with that, um, the uh, the skew is interesting, right, to be fair um, on this particular poll. Most polls are pretty much 45, 55, 55, 45. You never um, and that's the nature of it. Right? You never get 90-10 um, unless it would be a crazy poll as a question like, will Elon Musk recoup all his losses by the end of the year? You try that, you'll get a 90-10, right? <laughs> no, the answer will be. But the point is, when it's something that is um, close, uh, where a reasonable point of view uh, can be taken for either side, you do see a 55-45, 45-55 kind of split. But the key takeaway here is the institutional client response. So these are buy side portfolio managers, analysts, CFOs, traders, um, directors of research, that kind of thing, uh, versus Twitter individuals that are, or might be professional individuals in the Twitter. And then um, individuals uh, who are some family offices and funds, but mostly individuals who are subscribers to Worth Charting. And you see a clear skew. So institutions actually um, the individuals at the institutions, right, uh, that responded to the poll, a couple hundred, are more bullish than both Twitter, and that was some 9,000 plus replies, versus uh, worth charting subscribers, which was a couple hundred, uh, 300 or something. So that's, um, you know, that is interesting, and we shall see. Um, but here's the one thing. Uh, we'll know soon enough. Even if the market goes dead flat for the next two weeks, it will have to either be above or below the two lines. So one way or another to be resolved. One thing you say all the time, Carter, and I'll look at this and say, you know, I'm honed in on the institution. Obviously, Twitter, I mean, the other two categories are important, but institutions, as you mentioned all the time, I mean, they're resoundingly always bullish. And the fact that it was as close to 50-50 as you got here, 54 to 46, to me, actually is sort of bearish. The fact that many of those people seemingly are saying, you know what, the next leg is lower, I think is I find pretty interesting. So although that obviously skews bullish to the institutions, not nearly to the level that I think historically it would if you were to put out a poll like that 
uh, over different periods of time. Thoughts on that real quick? Yeah, no, I think that's right. It's, um, uh, well, and you know this when you speak to individual portfolio managers, it's it's inherent in the human condition. If you're a long-only manager, you generally see things as, oh, you know, it's getting better. And the long-short guys are generally pessimistic because, you know, they're carrying half the book short, so they have to see some mm -hmm. negativity. Otherwise, you know, they're doomed relative to the SPX, which is long-only. So it's interesting, Carter. I wonder a little bit. <clears throat> we've been talking about this, um, you know, just just the whether you agree on the reasons of why yields have been going lower and why the dollar has been go going lower. We could all agree that, like, fundamentally, it's probably a decent tailwind for corporate earnings here in the U.S. I, I mean, like, just just in general, right? And and again, you know, we can debate the reasons for why they're going lower, um, but you've had a really bearish call on yields for the last, let's call it two months. Yeah, I yeah. think really since the 10 year was, was above 4% in early November. Walk us through this because um, you've been talking about the 10 year. You've also been talking about the two um, fed funds, you know, again, is going to be most likely if you look at the CME fed funds tracker, it's basically pricing 5% at the March meeting here. That's what the fed has been talking about. Um, but yields and treasuries are going lower here. So talk to us a little bit about this and, and walk us through a little bit of your charts and where you see yields going on the 10 and the two. Right, it's, a, it's a very nuanced moment to have independent of the charts first, but I mean, to have the market saying one thing and the officials that in many ways control to a large extent or to some extent, uh, the cost of capital, um, uh, sort of indicating something different. But, you know, the bond vigilantes, uh, as an expression that came into the market 20 years ago, nobody's bigger than the market. Uh, that This we know, not the Federal Reserve, not anybody. And so the message has to be that more often than not, the market is right. The market being all of us, right? The, the greatest weighing machine of all. And, and if we do look at the charts, what we know, of course, is that um, you have all the elements of a, of a breakdown, both uh, for the two-year and the 10-year. And this is, I mean, here's the beauty of it. I mean, forget how I've annotated it. One would agree that's a well-defined uptrend. It, the, the, the chart moves from the bottom left to the top right of the screen, and it is no longer doing that. Now, it has broken trend, and the reciprocal, this is yield, is price. So if you were to look at the SHY on the next, and it's the same thing in reverse. So if we mm -hmm. toggle and we could do it quickly, yields, price, yields, price, yields, price, I mean, you know, it kind of like pretty straightforward there. So uh, my thinking is to press the shy bets, S-H-Y, that's the bet to, uh, unless you're going to have a futures account in Chicago, which is fine too, in the two-year note, uh, that, that yields are going lower two-year. And the same thing for the 10-year. We have this next if we want to look at it, but there's the trend. We're just starting to break and look at the TLT. It's it's already mm -hmm. well above. I mean, you know, I, you could draw the lines any way you want, but my eye sees what you're seeing now on the screen. You, the yeah, listen, for you bingo players, you got your toggles in. Good for you. I'm sure you're thrilled. I'll say this. You know, Carter's been steadfast on this one for quite some time. And the point that he, he has made, and I've tried to make a number of times, is the knee-jerk for lower rates initially will be the market higher until people come to the realization that lower yields are not that panacea that they've historically been and yields are going lower because things are slowing down, layoffs are coming, earnings are going to compress, those types of things. So I agree with you. The only place that I might differ a little, and that's what makes markets, is I'm still one of these believers that the 10-year could continue to go lower, you know, maybe down to three and a quarter, 
against a backdrop where the four, excuse me, the two year stays sticky mm-hmm. and maybe doesn't crater as much would obviously mean the inversion is getting wider, but we'll see. But I think we're pretty lined up, Dan, in terms of what we think yields are going to do and what it means to the broader market. Yeah. And, and to your point, Guy, about you know the data, it's coming in weaker here. And you just made this point on our fast money call um, at 1230 is that today is just a day where bad data is resulting in bad price action in stocks. And so maybe that has to do with the fact that we got out of the gates up four or five percent for no good reason other than people just got sick of selling stocks in 2022. <clears throat> you look at the retail sales data, um, not particularly great. Carter, you wanted to talk about the XRT, it's the ETF that checks um, the retail sector. And, and, and again, this thing has been kind of bombed out for a while, despite the fact that we've seen, you know, a, a resilient consumer, right? And so I guess the question is, is this data, and we started off this program with that quote from Rosie about the, mm-hmm. the new consecutive of disappointing retail prints. What is this saying to you about retail? We know that they just went through their seasonally strong period. Um, you know, it just seems like, you know, with inventories being the story over the last nine months and some of these big retailers really having a hard time dealing with them, um, this sector seems vulnerable. And, and I got to tell you, Walmart today sticking sticking out like a sore thumb down 2.5%. Yeah. So the beauty of this ETF in many ways is that you truly get rid of anything idiosyncratic, right? It's about 95 stocks. And it's equal weight. So in the A's, you have Amazon and AutoNation, Albertson's grocery store. And in the, in the W's, you have Walmart and Wayfair. And everything in between from Monroe Muffler to Gap and Urban Outfitters and Target and Williams-Sonoma, the whole thing. And um, while it doesn't have to play out as I've drawn it, right, as, as a bottom um, here, and we could put in with a moving average, you'll see that the 100th day is flattening. And I think that it's... Uh, you can get resolved here by just continuing to grind sideways, which is dull uh, and uninspiring. But my hunch is that it has a, a bit of upside potential, having really lagged the market, which is to say we know how high the market is above its own October low, whereas this is not. Still working through inventories. If you want proof positive of that, Dan, go back and listen to that Lululemon call a few weeks. I think it was two and a half or three weeks ago when they had an 84% increase year over year in their inventory. I think it was like $1.9 billion, which is a ridiculous number. They tried to tell it to the market that they had anticipated. They were actually, they wanted to do that because they're going to see the commensurate demand only to a few weeks later see them lower guidance. And it's not, I'm not picking on Lululemon. The point is retailers are still zigging when they should be zagging. And I don't think they've resolved themselves to the downside yet either, Dan Nathan. Yeah. And you know, you can't talk about retail and not talk about what we've seen in the airlines. And last night on Fast Money, we had the United CEO on and he sounded really bullish guy. He sounded bullish on the things yeah. that they could control. He sounded bullish offering, a, a, you know, an EPS outlook that was like, I, you know, it was, 50% higher than than where street consensus was for the year the stock ended last year at about 37 bucks this morning the stock opened at 53 huge reversal here Carter um and mm-hmm. you know after a parabolic move like that a gap on news a reversal the stock's down nearly 4% today i mean that's pretty bad price action on the back of supposed good news and it was good news so talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on the airlines on the jets etf that tracks them and then i have a bearish trade sorry for the spoiler alert there bearish trade on the jets 
Uh, sure. So one thing to know about this, independent of the charts, is this is a tough way to make a living, right? You have to buy very expensive equipment. You have to get the thing up in the air. You got to get people to sit in their seats and not get too drunk. The point is, it's a mess, right? It's capital intensive. It's you still got to fly the planes if they're empty. Gas goes way up, and you're and so to make that point, the New York Stock Exchange Airline Index is the same level right now as it was in 1995. I mean, what? Adjusted for inflation, you've lost 70% of your money. Uh, and we know that almost every airline that we see from Delta United, they've all been bankrupt two times, 10 times, tough way to make a living. That doesn't mean we can't trade it. And mm -hmm. we might have a, a, a chart here, the Jets. Uh, you know, we sent this out to clients uh, today when it spiked above that uh, downtrend line. Uh, Fade it. What can say, but isn't that a beautiful head and shoulders bottom? Okay, but the thing has gone weirdly straight up for about 12 sessions in a row. Uh, the, the comment that we included in the note was simply this. Um, if long, we would trim or write calls. If not involved, we'd initiate small new shorts. If short, press. I think that's right. And, you know, I will, I said last night in terms of United, you know, they, they are giving comps now against 2019. And I thought, I think United closed around 53 bucks or thereabouts. I thought there was a chance it got up to 60, which is where we broke down from in the spring. And if you look at where we were in 2019, we're significantly lower, despite the fact that all the metrics seem uh, better. With that said, Car Carter's charts don't lie. They're trading vehicles. I thought there was a little more left in the trade. This chart suggests anything but. And Dan, your trade, I think, will further amplify that bearish notion. Yeah, and just to be clear, you know, 35% of the weight of the Jets is American United and Delta here. So you're, you're hitting the major U.S. carriers. That's what you're focused on here. You know, again, I, I love the way Carter positions it because, again, you know, you can use technicals as a really important input for an investment thesis, a trading thesis, as, a, as an opportunity to use the levels, to write calls against the long position, to hedge it, that sort of thing. I just want to make an outright bearish bet on the Jets. I want to play for a move back towards 18 over the next month. I think it's overshot. I think the news is in the stocks, and I think this is a defined risk, risk way to play it. So today when Jets was trading at 2016, I bought the February 2018 put spread, paying 45 cents for that buying to open one of the February 20 puts at 55 cents. I sold open one of the Feb 18 puts at 10 cents. Again, 45 cents. That is my max risk. I have profits of up to $1.55 between 19.55 and 18 on the downside with an 18 as my max gain and I have losses of up to 45 cents between 1955 and 20 with a max loss of 45 cents above 20. This trade risks only 2.2% of the ETF price. I have a break even down about 3% with a max gain of a little more than three times my premium um, and about 8% of the ETF price here. So really I'm playing for a move down mm -hmm. about 10% over the next month. And as always, I like to use mental stops when trading options directionally and long premium i'll use about a 50 percent mental stop so if this thing was worth 23 cents or so i'm gonna look to cut it because at that point the probability of this thing expiring at zero is pretty high here and we don't like to have our trading portfolio littered with a bunch of one penny options at expiration here so that's how i'm playing the jets to the downside near term over the next month you know a good a good uh, sort of title for that would be risk less uh make more I mean, maybe some shows should use that as their catchphrase, Dan. I mean, that's just me spitballing. But the fact that 
you know, your strategy precisely lines up with what Carter put out. And by the way, you had talked about this last night, how you were looking to fade these airlines on the back of the United call that we heard Scott Kirby talking on Fast Money last night. Before we um, 5,000, Pat Bergen has something to say. Pull that tweet up or whatever the hell it is. Comment uh, at 113, Pat Bergen. If Daniel Jones was a stock, I would be shorting it. Brutal Vikings D made him look like Tom Brady. Eagles will bring him back to reality. Short Daniel Jones. Okay, Pat, good effing luck with that, pal, because I'm telling you right now, Daniel Jones is a top five quarterback in the National Football League, and Dan will tell you I have talked about this now for years. This is the Daniel Jones that I envisioned. Uh, Giant fans are unanimously now in his camp. Uh, all you Eagle fans, have a good time Saturday night. That's it, because I got a 5,000 Carter. Man, oh, man, you're man, so oh, man. freaking handsome. Dan, you're always, Dan, you're always great. I've come yeah. to expect that over the last two years. Yeah. But that's market call today. Thanks for your comments. Yes, it was Goose that said the list is long and distinguished. The next line, of course, from the great Rick Rotsovich, what I won't mention, but you know, he said something to the effect that so is a certain part of his uh Anatomy, without getting into great detail, I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, powered by Tamar. They're also our data provider. I am G Swizzle. That is Carter Worth. That is Dan Nathan. We will see you tomorrow with EY from SoFi.